So one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite parts of summer camp, because it's the end of the summer, so I need to think about summer camp. I didn't get to go to summer camp this summer. It's kind of sad, but my kids got to go, so I could vicariously enjoy summer camp through them going. But back when I was a kid, one of my favorite parts was the all-camp game, right? Games like Capture the Flag, where you literally, the entire camp property is the playing field. Half the campers on this side, half the campers on that side. Everybody's running around like crazy. It's pandemonium. I loved it. But one of the things that made a really good all-camp game player was you needed to have a mental image in your head of kind of the layout of the whole camp, right? You need to know where the roads are. You need to know where the hidden paths through the woods are. You need to know the good hiding spot so you could look there for the opponent's flag. You need to know where the open fields are so that if it turns into a dead sprint, you don't go there because you weren't the fastest kid on the block. You got to know that, right? But it's good to be able to picture the full field of play so that when you're in the middle of the game, you can remember the bigger strategy that's going on. This came to mind, not just because I'm always looking for a reason to talk about summer camp, though I am, <laughs> but because as I've been spending more and more time reading the letter to the Hebrews and kind of thinking about what was this author trying to communicate to this first congregation that they wrote this letter down, you know, probably more like a sermon that they wrote down to a group of Jewish Jesus followers living in the mid to late first century AD, somewhere in or around the capital of the ancient Roman Empire. One of the things that strikes me is the author was constantly referring to the bigger picture, the full map of what God has been doing and is doing throughout history for those who would follow him. The, the author of Hebrews quotes scripture all the time, so often that the only way the congregation would really be able to keep up was if they already knew scripture incredibly well, had it committed to memory. The, the author refers to these massive theological themes about what God promised and did long ago and how that connects to what God is doing right now in such a way that I think the author is assuming that his people had on their minds a full picture of not just what, what might God be doing in my life right now, but rather if we flip that, how is what God's doing in my life part of the giant story of what God has been doing and is doing and will do? And in a sense, the whole letter is an invitation to see ourselves as part of this eternal work that God started long ago and will continue until the very end. And if you read all of chapter one, which I'm sure not only have you read it, but you've committed it to memory by now, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, see this happened last week too, I just totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, okay, yeah, there we go. You know that the emphatic uh, uh, the focal point of chapter one has been this one singular idea. If you were to read all of the Old Testament and read story after story of the incredible things that God did for his people, of the powerful and life-giving words that God spoke to his people, about the grace and forgiveness and reminders that God gave even when his people 
forgot about God's goodness and walked away from him. If you were to take all of the amazing things that God did for Israel in the past, all of them were just at the beginning of something even greater that God was going to do when God himself, in the person of Jesus, came to earth. And as Christ said when he lived on earth, brought to completion and fulfillment every word that God had spoken in the past. And there's this phrase that the author of Hebrews uses, so great a salvation, which basically means if I understand just how amazing the stuff God already has done, if I understand how amazing that all is, then the moment I realize that Christ is greater, I have to realize that we are talking about something incomparably, like words cannot describe. It's just endlessly beyond and above and more important and more valuable than everything I've ever understood. And that, that massive image is the big picture that God wants to bring us, invite us to be part of with our lives. And chapter 2 starts out, and we're going to go there if you want to go to Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses. We're going to read them in just a second. Chapter 2 then starts out and says, okay, if we get that everything God's ever done was a beginning and it all came to completion, or as the author said, Jesus is now the exact representation of God. He's the final word. If all that's true, we get to a very big therefore in the beginning of chapter 2. If all that's true, therefore, here's what you got to do about it. Because like we said last week, um, we're studying through Hebrews, but what we're focusing on in particular are all of the places that the pastor uses words of exhortation. Instruction designed to elicit a response in action. And the therefore calls us to one of the central themes of the action that we're called to. Uh, so let's read it now. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So if I were to summarize this in one short phrase of exhortation, I'd say today, the author of Hebrews wants you to pay attention. A phrase that maybe my kids have heard me say more often than they'd like, or maybe that I've heard my kids say to me more often than I would like to admit. And as we explore what the author of Hebrews means by this command, pay attention, pay attention to God's great salvation, I've got three questions that are going to guide our time together this morning. First of all, what should I pay attention to? Let's get really clear on what we're talking about. Second of all, why? Why is it so important for me to pay attention? And third, if, if I know what I'm trying to pay attention to and why it's worthwhile trying to pay attention to the proper thing, how do I do that? 
Because, man, my life is filled with distractions, so I really, I really need some help. I need some help. You might not need some help, but I really need some help. So I want to talk about how do I become a more attentive person. Sound like a plan? All right. And uh, also, in a, just a bit, I'm going to have you grab one of these cards. There was some on a bunch of seats, but if you don't have one, there's like a bunch of empty seats over here. So you could, are we good? Okay, I see head nods. Um, we'll use that in just a second. Okay, um, yeah, if Eric and Cindy have a bunch in the back, if you, wanna, if you want one, raise your hand. Okay, people are getting them. First question, first question. What should I pay attention to? Uh, there we go. On the one hand, the answer is pretty simple. The author has just spent the whole first chapter and made it fairly clear in the second chapter. In my life, the thing that is most deserving of my attention is the salvation... The good news of God's grace brought to all humankind, the salvation, a gift from God to all humanity. That is the thing most deserving of my attention and my life. And of course, attention here doesn't just mean like focused on a task in the present moment. It means given all of the resources and energy and priority of my life. Attention here is a word for both something I do as an action in the moment, but also the thing that that receives all of the effort and focus of my life. But the fact of the matter is, if if we know that God's gift of salvation, the greatest message to ever come to human history, the most freeing and life-giving truth the world has ever heard, if we know that that really is the thing most deserving of our attention, there's kind of a flip side of the question that, that we're kind of forced to pay attention to. All right, I've heard the gospel. I know the life God gives. All right, yes, this is what my life's about. I've made a commitment to follow Christ with my life, but shoot, now I have to ask, what do I actually pay attention to in my life? Because like we already said, we live in a world pretty filled with distractions. Just last Sunday, I had a meeting Right after worship, um, we were planning uh, the final, the final, um, just making some final plans for the upcoming growth challenge, uh, a brand new discipleship-focused experience um, that I really believe is going to be powerful and transformational. And if you've been thinking about signing up for it and you haven't signed up, the time is running out. It starts next Saturday. So if your husband or wife has nudged you and said you should really do that, or if the Holy Spirit has nudged you and be like, maybe I should sign up, you should listen and sign up for the growth challenge. So I'm in this meeting, right? And it's just, it's, it's awesome. Like brilliant, faithful people having meaningful conversation about something I'm really excited about. But I have this, I have this challenge that I experience in my own life. When I'm engaging in conversation that's really stimulating for me, I can't help but start writing sermons because of the inspiration of what I'm hearing. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening, and and really, for people in the room who were there, I was listening, I was totally listening. And I was typing notes onto my sermon document because I was getting all these ideas. My attention was divided, if you've ever experienced something like this. Or another example, Uh, a few weeks ago, I'd been invited by a buddy to play in a charity golf tournament at Arrowhead Golf Course down in Roxborough. Anybody familiar with Arrowhead, right? And so if you're familiar with Arrowhead, you're like, that's awesome because it's an amazing golf course. So I wake up the morning of, 
and the tournament's in the afternoon. So I spend the morning, and I go down across the road to the open space to the little creek that my youngest two love to play in. And I'm sitting there, playing, splashing in the creek, digging holes in the sand with Asa, having a very lovely time with my kids. And my mind kept wandering to the beautiful golf course that I was going to get to play at that afternoon. My attention was divided. Or as often happens, if I get to the end of the workday and I look at my email inbox and it's not as empty as I would like it to be, even when I get home and sit down and have dinner with the family, my attention is divided. Is it, is it fair to say? We live in a really distracted world. We live in a world where it's so easy for our attention, this great gift of presence that we can give to the people around us, it is so easily divided. We can send it to times and places long ago. We can send our attention to times and places way in the future. We can divide our attention with a million different tasks all at the same time. Do this for me. Grab your little card. And um, you'll notice on the back that I put two columns, one that says attention and one that says distraction. You'll also notice when we sent it to the printer and we went to pick it up from the printer, they printed it on the wrong size paper. So now the picture doesn't fold the whole thing and this is uneven and that's very distracting to me. I just can't. I'll be fine. We'll be fine. Do this. Think over the last week of your life, okay? Just take a minute, press rewind, go back to last Monday, and go through the last week of your life and, and ask yourself, in this last week, what, what, what was currently receiving in your, in your life, in your day, in your rhythms, in your routines, what did you really give your attention to? Spend a minute and just write it down. Call it a form of prayer exercise to just say, God, I'm just going to acknowledge to you, here's the things, and there's pens in the chairs in front of you. Really, it's good, right? What did I give my attention to this week? I'd imagine there's all sorts of things you might have given your attention to, things uh, at your home, at your place of work, relationships that receive your attention, hobbies. There's both good things, virtues that might have received your attention, or... Maybe bad things, some vices that might have received your attention. What, what are the things? What jumps out to you? What are the things that you're like, oh man, you know, I really gave a lot of attention to this. And then as you continue to just do a little bit of a reflection on the week, where were you distracted in the past week? What were the moments or what were the topics or what were the circumstances that no matter what you were in the middle of, your brain just kept getting pulled to this other place. Your, your heart just kept getting pulled to this other place. You can get distracted by all sorts of things. Maybe you were distracted by something good. You're anticipating. It's a good thing, but it's not happening yet, but you're distracted looking at the future. Maybe you're distracted by something heavy or hard that you're kind of dreading. Maybe you're distracted by something neutral. It's just a habit. Or maybe you're distracted by something harmful, some form of addiction or brokenness that shows up in your life. See, if we know what God calls us to give our attention to, and we can admit 
that we're really distracted people living in a distracted world, then I think one of the obvious things we have to do is pay a little attention to our attention. Because the moment we recognize the things that are receiving all of our attention and the things that are causing all of our distraction, we then have the opportunity to say, God, help me change that so that my focus is more on you. I find one of the best ways to really get the, the motivation and the energy necessary to, to make those sorts of changes is asking uh, another form of the question, which is not just the what or the how, but asking why. Okay, I, I think I get it. I know why it matters to pay attention to God's great salvation, but let's just dig into it a second. I know what I should pay attention to, so now I'm going to ask, why should I pay attention to God's great gift of salvation? And the author um, sketches that out in a really wonderful way using alliteration. The alliteration doesn't show up in our English, oh, but it showed up in the original Greek. So let's do a quick little Greek alliteration. Three words. Perisotera, pros echein, and my personal favorite, because it sounds so fun, pararuomen, pararuomen. All right, here's what the author says. He says, pay the most careful attention to. So the first word, perisotera, can mean beyond a standard of abundance, even more, much more, a substantial increase. This is like a big emphasis word. This is like highlighter, underline, circle, star. This is like a, hey, everybody, I'm trying to really emphasize this thing. What's the thing that gets this big emphasis? The next word, pros ekane, which can mean to be in a state of alert or to pay careful attention to someone or to something. So the starting point is not just pay careful attention, but pay careful attention in an especially big, attentive sort of way. The, the, the translation was pay the most careful attention, but I was kind of drawn towards the idea of hyper-attentiveness. This is like, this is like, Tiger Woods standing over his drive on the 18th hole about to win the PGA Tour, which I know is a long time ago. You know, he's past his heyday, but still. You know, to, or this is like, pick your sport of choice. Michael Jordan, you know, pull up, jump, thought, shot, three-pointer to win the game, beat the buzzer. There's these moments in life where just every ounce of our heart and our mind and our body and our energy is focused completely on one thing. Would the words on your paper change? If I asked you, not just, what did I give my attention to, but I, if I asked you, when were you hyper-attentive? In the zone, in the flow state, every ounce of my being, when was the last time you were hyper-attentive in your life? And the reason we must be hyper-attentive to God's great gift of salvation in our lives is so that we don't Pararu, O men, which means to be washed away, to drift away, to lose our attention or our commitment. I've said it before, it's a quote I heard from somebody you will never drift to your desired destination. But then, of course, Kyle Sutton, he had to prove me wrong because he's like, Carl, when I was a paratrooper, 
I drifted to every one of my destinations. That's the only way you could get there. <sighs> Fine, Kyle. I'll acknowledge the exception to the rule. We have to pay most careful attention because distraction isn't just this annoying little thing that causes us to not finish our email by the end of the day. It's something that can cause us to lose focus of, lose awareness of the most important things in life. And that's exactly what the author says. Pay most attention, most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And what have we heard? Here's what we've heard. We live in a broken and sinful world. That was proven by the law that God gave to Moses long ago, and it's proven in our hearts today, and it's proven in our observations of the world every day. And in that broken world, God didn't just leave us to our own, but he said, I will come down and be with you, and I will take your brokenness upon my shoulders. I will die and rise back to life so that you might have life. What more could possibly be worthy of our attention than the greatest gift God has ever given in human history. So why should we pay attention? We pay attention to Christ and his salvation because there's nothing more worthy of our attention. And we know that, yet we experience this division that causes us to lose focus. But there's a second reason to the why. Um, th that, see, because when I talk about distraction and attention, my mind often goes to the more kind of lighthearted, like I, I was with my kids and I should have just been focused on my kids, but I, my mind was somewhere else. And yeah, I should, I, should, I should fix that. It's better to be with my kids. But that's also like, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a lighthearted um, thing. You know, these distractions come. But there's a much more serious aspect to it. Because we're not just talking about getting email done at the end of the day or, or remembering to, you know, look your husband or wife in the eye over dinner or pay attention to your close friend. We're also talking about the big picture, the map of the whole playing field, about what God is doing in this world we live in. And here's, one of the, here's the next fact about the world we live in. It's not just filled with distraction. It's also filled with pretty horrible suffering. I mean, we live in a world that hurts. Suffering comes in some of the most severe and heartbreaking and painful ways. And yes, we are so fortunate to be people for whom much of the suffering of human history, suffering like sickness or famine and lack of food or really brutal living conditions, we are so lucky that we actually have some of the most comfortable lives any human has ever lived in the history of planet Earth. And yet we know that hunger and death through sickness and all sorts of hardship and, and conflict among people, and we know that suffering is a very real part of the human spirit experience. In fact, suffering is one of the most consistent reasons across human history that have caused people to question whether or not a good God could ever really exist. And then it gets worse from there, which is a terrible thing to have to say, that from suffering it gets worse. Because maybe if we just lived in a harsh world where sickness or death caused really bad suffering, maybe we could deal with that. But then we as humans, we add something even more on top of it. We say, yeah, okay, suffering happens, but sometimes in spite of 
you know, there's nothing we can do about it. But then we humans, we take evil and we add it on to the suffering. And we go, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to betray people. And I'm going to be violent through warfare or through interpersonal. I'm going to learn how to do gruesome things like torture. Humans take the inevitable suffering and they add to it by taking our creative power and applying it to something pretty terrible. And much of human history has been spent asking the simple question, what do we do about this harsh world we live in? And I don't think there's any answer to the question. I don't think there's any solution to the problem of suffering that is compelling or convincing except the idea that God, the creator of this universe, would see that suffering, a problem God does not like or want, and wouldn't just say, well, sucks me, you guys, sorry, you know, you better get over it, but rather that God would come to be with us in our suffering and would demonstrate God's commitment so much that God would even go to the cross and die to prove God's ultimate desire to be with us and then be risen again so that the life we long for, he has proven that he himself, God alone, can give that life to us. So why do we pay attention to God's salvation? Because there's nothing more deserving of our attention than the crucified and risen Christ. And it's not just about what God's doing in our life, but that is the answer to every problem about all of human history. It's the whole map. It's a story that God wants to make real in your life so that we can be part of what God is doing in all of human history and in all of the world today. I cannot get more superlative than that there is nothing more worthy of our attention than the crucified and risen Christ. And so what do we do about this? So we say, okay, Carl, I get it. Yep, I, I, I've seen suffering. I get it, Carl. And whoa, I am distracted. My, my attention is pulled in so many different ways by the mundane and by the harsh and severe. So what do we do? How, how do we become a more attentive person, the kind of person whose attention is more regularly and consistently and fully placed on the things that matter most. We answer that, as we always do, by asking the most important question. If this is true, if we're being called to pay attention, what's your move and what's my move going to be? Because my hope and prayer is always that we wouldn't just come here so we could check a box and go, made it to church, but we'd come here so that our lives would be consistently open to a God who wants to change us, grow us, fill us with his life. And sometimes that's big shifts. Sometimes that's just tiny little course corrections that keep us on track. I heard the illustration just a couple weeks ago. If a plane were to be on the runway in New York, heading straight for Los Angeles, and you were to push the bow of the plane, the bow of the plane, the front of the plane, the nose of the plane, whatever, just three inches to the left. Then it wouldn't land in Los Angeles, it would land in Mexico. Small little adjustments over the course of our life can result in major change. So I've got, I've got three ideas. Maybe all of them will speak to you, maybe just one of them, but my hope is that they would become actual adjustments in our life. How do I become a more attentive person? First, pay attention to your attention. There's an ancient 
Christian prayer practice. We've talked about it often. It's called the prayer of examine. And the basic idea is just, if I look back over the moments and the experiences and the circumstances of any day of my life, and if I believe that God is really present always, then paying attention to what I experience each day is a way to learn to pay attention to God. So what would it look like if for just 60 seconds, as you're brushing your teeth at the end of every day, you thought to, myself, you thought to yourself, God, here's why I was really attentive today. God, here's why I was really distracted today. And you just acknowledged it to God in prayer. You paid attention. And then you said, God, help me be more attentive to you. I bet if we did something like that every day for a month, at the end of the month, it would be almost inevitable that we'd be a little more attentive to God each and every day. Here's another idea. Practice gratitude. The brother of Jesus, a guy named James, uh, wrote a letter to the church, and James said, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. In a sense, if I can practice gratitude for even the small little good things that happen to me, that will inevitably draw me towards a gratitude and therefore attentiveness to the goodness of the God who gives every good and perfect gift. Gratitude is a powerful tool for putting our attention on what matters most. I mentioned last week this book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. It's, it's just, oh, I'm, I'm still working through it. It's such a good book. And, and Schizero, the author, um, I, by emotionally healthy, I really think he actually just means mature, holistic discipleship. He talks about the seven marks of a mature Christian. And the last two really stood out to me. The last two are break the power of the past and lead out of weakness and vulnerability. <laughs> I got to church this morning and I was looking through my slides and I had a typo on this one. I actually had written, leave out weakness and vulnerability. <laughs> just leave it out. What do mature people do? Just, that's not there. Sweep it under the rug. Okay, I need to correct. I need to catch that typo. But here's what I know. If you have hurts, regrets, suffering, sorrow, unforgiveness in your past, that will consume so much of your attention all day, every day, if you don't do the work of healing through it. I also know we live in a world where we love to spend time and energy doing image management, making sure that we look really good to the people around us. We, our online profiles look really good. Our smiley face looks really good. It doesn't matter if I am happy inside. I might be rotting away and completely gone, but as long as I look good, and man, can we give a lot of our attention to making sure we look good instead of to being honest about who we are so that God can actually do the work in us God wants to do. Pay attention to your attention. Practice gratitude. Start breaking some of the power of the past that's stealing your attention. Learn that weakness and vulnerability is not a problem. It's a gift that God gave you. And I think through it all, we might be able to, little by little, become people whose lives are characterized by a hyper-attentiveness 
to the thing that matters most, the work that God is doing in us so that we might be part of the work God is doing in the whole world. So I was playing capture the flag at Camp Nathaniel. And I, I discovered where the flag was. I'd gotten some good intel. So I was, gonna make a, I was just going to make a run for it. I was going to go get the flag. And I'm sprinting along, and I, rem- I can picture it literally so clearly. I'm sprinting along, and I'm coming behind the nurse's cabin because the line of sight is blocked, so I think I'm very sneaky. But sure enough, I come around the nurse's cabin, and I can see the flag hidden by the canoes. But the other team has seen me, and some of my opponents have cut me off. So I no longer have access to the flag. So I stop and I turn around and they'd circled behind me too and I was trapped. But I happen to know that just over on the side of this field area was this line of bushes that was still in bounds, but it was so thick that most people never went there. And so I thought to myself, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna sprint towards the bushes. And I bet if I run fast enough and I just sort of like jump and do one of these, I can break through the bushes and these guys aren't going to follow me and I'll get away and then I can come back and try again. This is my plan. It's a good plan. And I'm running as fast as I can. I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but you know, I'm running as fast as I can and I keep looking back because they're getting close. So, you know, I'm running, trying to like make sure they don't pull the little flick. I'm running and I get, and I jump and I tuck and, and then I, I realized something. See, I had been giving all of my attention to the campers who were chasing me, and therefore I hadn't given quite enough attention to the question of why is there such a nice line of bushes right on the edge of camp? Like, why have they grown so neatly in what appears to be almost a perfect line? Do you, do you want to know why? Because it's not just a row of bushes. It's a row of bushes that have all grown up on a fence, a barbed wire fence to be specific. And the barbed wire entered into my shin in two places. I can show you the scars later if if you want to see. And I learned something. See, if your attention is in the wrong place, I mean, we live in a world filled with suffering already, so, so pain and sorrow can come along. But if your attention's filled in the wrong place, all the more Life can and will literally tear your feet out from under you. But if there's one thing that is worth our attention, that can actually give us the strength we need to make it through this harsh world we live in, it is the power of God made available to every one of us through Christ. Or as the author of Hebrews said in the beginning of chapter 1, therefore... Holy brother, or sorry, chapter 3. Holy brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling the good news of Christ and his grace for us. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Would you pray with me? God, again, we're distracted people living in a world filled with distraction. But even more than that, it's, it's not just distraction. It's that, oh, the, the hurt and the hardship, the suffering and the sorrow that goes on around us and, and we experience inside of us, it can consume us. It can overwhelm us. 
Help us, God. As every single one of us has acknowledged already the things that tug at our hearts, that divide our mind, help us to be people whose full attention is given to you. Help your voice to be louder than the other voices that speak to us. Help your presence to be more great and powerful in our lives than any other presence around us. Help the good news of your gospel be the central life-giving truth that every moment of our lives is all about. May it be so, we pray. Amen. And I invite you as we sing this last song, it's a new song, uh, make it a prayer that our attention would be fully on God.